Hello, everybody, and welcome back to season four of Sequelizers. This is, as always, the show about fixing bad sequels that followed good movies. And as always, I am your host, Jack Chambers. Joining me are two of my fellow Sequelizers, Mr. Matthew Stogden and Alec Plowman. Everything the light touches is our sequel. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I thought Rara was pretty weak. <laughs> I, was, I feel better. I was I was not prepared for this. I'm not going to lie. Lord. It's not like we do it every single episode. Every single episode I forget. I'm like taking some notes and then I get to this bit and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a thing we do, isn't it? There's a, a special feature on the Lion King 3D Blu-ray, I want to say, whereby they just have a load of extra audio bits from the recording studio, and one of them is James Earl Jones just saying, hang on a minute, give me, give me a minute, keep rolling. <laughs> what feels like, but they animate it, so he's just on front. So Mufasa is just slowly growling. Yeah, and then he goes, at the end of the whole thing, he goes, Rawr! Uh, that's the most you're going to get at me at the minute. And I was like, wow, this sounds like a horrible experience. <laughs> Jesus. Wow. Uh, so we should probably explain at this moment that our uh, our third regular sequelizer, Mr. Tim Mayton, is um, not here at the moment. Tim was mauled by a lion on the way to this recording. He's not done this, Stuart. Don't worry. No, he, he will be back yeah. because he heals like fucking Wolverine. Yeah. So there we go. So uh, <laughs> get get well soon, Tim Mayton. May the, may the lions... May the lions no longer crave your flesh. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Let's go with that. Wow. Oh my lord. Don't go into the big cloud in the sky, Tim. If, if you're... see a star now. Is that what we're talking Yeah, like uh, in The Lion King. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. If you haven't already guessed, my fellow sequelizers are going to be fixing The Lion King 2, colon, Simba's Pride. We're, I was just going to say we're back to uh, straight-to-video territory here. We are, yes. We tackled Mulan 2, the famous zero percenter, and the return of Jafar. Not Aladdin 2, just the return of Jafar. That's all that film was called. It's weird. Also a hot pile of garbage. I'm going to go on a limb here. I like this film. I liked it when I was eight or seven or whenever the fuck I was when this came out. Still like it as a 28-year-old now. Don't love it. It's not the first one, obviously. But I think it's fine. I think it's pretty good. It's watchable. I will also say that I think this film is perfectly adequate. I wouldn't go so far as to say I like it. It's definitely one of the better straight-to-video Disney sequels. I feel like they got to this point and they'd refined that formula. There's not much competition there, is there? Really? No. <laughs> like we said, there's some literal 0% rating the Rotten Tomato things in there. But compared to Return of Jafar, which really is a... St- steaming pile of garbage this is at least a passable film and a passable film especially when you consider the context in which it was made as a straight to video disney release it does quite an admirable job of being a follow-up to the lion king it's just that it's a straight to video follow-up to the lion king and i think that's a big part of where the problem lies for this movie i would also add that as much as it is in my opinion, a very flat release, if I'm honest. I think there's some interesting direction, and we'll get more into the, the pros and cons in a minute, but ultimately, it's still better than what Disney was producing in the mid to late 
early 2000s where you have the like home on the rage and chicken that it's like is this even fucking disney that kind of stuff that's where it was really hitting an all-time low and this film is genuinely coming from a better place than those movies the other in inverted commas flatter releases that people have a lot of nostalgia for like uh, treasure planet and atlantis and those sorts of things which are like eh, they're fine brother bear they're, they're okay this isn't as good as those because it's not a cinematic release it's not you know a i like big treasure budget. planet quite a lot i think it's all right space pirates i'm yeah, a sucker for space pirates it's treasure island it's not, it's not a bad setting for a story and joseph gordon levitt's gonna but um <laughs> god he is isn't he jesus yeah, yeah. but in this case um, yeah, it, it, as you guys have said, it, it's just following. I mean, let's face it: The Lion King is almost always in s- most people's top three favorite Disney films, mostly because of the age people would be when they've seen it, and all that stuff. That thinks it's a very in our generation. Classic. I mean, you know, we're in our late twenties; you're in your thirties, Matt. So it's that kind of like we're all within a few years yes. age of each other. Oh, I, I would have been what four when The Lion King came out, and like I said, eight when this came out. Mm. And that's perfect fucking timing. Alec, you're ever so slightly older than me. Yeah, well, I'm I'm just in my 30s. Yeah. So, but I can, oh, rem- sorry. Yes, of course. I can remember going to see... The, I can remember standing in line with the original Lion King. I, I can remember... I think the, the Mufasa moment is quite a, quite a crucial moment when you are... Uh, it's interesting in terms of that film because that moment is a is a bit of a push for Disney in terms of a, a thing that they've the way that that is done felt a bit edgy at the time and a bit ooh. I think I think the video cassette even had a like a, a U but a warning on the, on the box classic about BBFC warnings yeah hmm. a, a different in America contains sad scene I think I might be something like that yeah. scenes of an upsetting nature or some well, I mean it's better than like... Flipper which had contains menacing sharks <laughs> <laughs> It's like a little hammerhead and it says contain medicine shot. Medicine shot, fuck off. Great. Does Shark Tale get the same? No, they're not menacing. Even though they're maybe like Mafia or something, it's not menacing. Not even the Scorsese shark. He's not, he's a blowfish. Oh, is he a blowfish? Mm. God. I hate that movie. (laughs) Yes. Blowfish sounds a lot like bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) How apt. So Lion King 2 came out in 1998, four years after the original. It was a reasonable success. So the original. Absolute monster, as we know, made nearly a billion dollars in the nineties. Unheard of. Nine hundred and sixty-eight million at the box office for the original Lion King. This, I guess you call it a box office. I don't know how they judge that well, by sales, sales, sales yeah. stuff. Yeah, I guess. Moolah is about half, less than half of that at four hundred and sixty-four million. I just, it's straight to video. Like, I, that's still a big. It sounds like a lot of fucking money for a straight to video sequel. When you when you consider that the budget, I'm assuming, is probably about a tenth, maybe a thirtieth of the budget for the original film. The, yeah, the original was forty five million dollar budget. This must have been, yeah, like you said, just about double digits, probably. Well, if that, I would assume a couple of million you can throw at that to make a sort of a reasonable a reasonable film. And that's what I think this is. It's a reasonable film for precisely that reason. This is what happens with... It suffers from all of the limitations of a straight-to-video movie, yeah. which is that uh, there's something else that goes with that as well that I'll come on to in a second. But, you know, the songs aren't as good. The animation isn't as good. You get a percentage of the voice cast coming back. but Yeah, you not everybody returns. Yeah. There are some key omissions. And the interesting thing with setting it straight for video is that... And of course, The Lion King is a is obviously a film for children. 
It is a children's movie. But the thing with the cinematic release is you have to write a film that adults can at least sit through. The thing with doing a straight-to-video release is it's assumed that the adults won't be sitting through it. Therefore, you can you have to write a script that appeals exclusively to your under-10s demographic, which means that it can be a bit lighter on some of the more dramatic content. And I think that's ultimately what happens with this film. It also ups the cringe factor of the comedy. Mm. A lot of it's very cheap, very simple, expressive voice shit and gag stuff. And it's like, uh, I mean, I think that um, the Timon and Pumbaa characters still kind of feel like they're playing the same bit, but Kovu's brothers... Uh, or siblings, I should say, they specifically, oh. And the thing is, it reminds me in a weird way of a Don Bluth film, mm. like okay, Anastasia, sure. for example. Yeah. Not, and, and that was a cinematic release, but it just didn't have the right feel. It felt a bit cheaper and not as of the quality we'd expect from this company. I think what I would say with that as well, and just a quick aside here, I think it's interesting that the Timon and Pumba in this movie feel more like the Timon and Pumba from the Timon and Pumba cartoon yes, that was true. also on at the same point, uh, which again just is pushing it into a bit more of a Saturday morning direction. Yes. And again, I think all of this is all of this is fine and the end result is fine. This isn't we've dealt with some absolute stinkers on sequelizers before. This isn't one of them. This is probably in better territory. It's like Predator 2 sort of situation where we kind of don't mind it, but yeah. it could be better. Yeah. I think the problem is that it's the sequel to The Lion King as well, which for a generation is a is a defining Disney moment. I think it would just be nice if we got something more. But then Disney didn't really do sequels. That's the other thing that we've got to bear in mind when we're talking about this film. This was an era where it's very commonplace now, right? Like, you know, we've got Ralph Breaks the Internet, we've got Frozen 2 coming out. We're in a we're in a place where Disney sequels and animated sequels in general are, are pretty commonplace. But really, it wasn't until Pixar pushed for Toy Story 2, um, which was originally meant to be a straight-to-video film, uh, and that got nixed at relatively late in the day the decision was to at pixar's protest the decision was to make it a full cinematic release it's only once you get to toy story 2 that the idea of this is planted in disney's head and it's shown that you can make a a sequel for whatever reason disney doesn't do sequels up until a certain point so we were discussing earlier about how in in 1990 and again i remember this as a six-year-old kid the rescuers down under came out now at that point I wanted to see that film because I love the look of the advert. I thought, oh, this looks great and fun. I hadn't seen The Rescuers. And The Rescuers at that point was, I think, what, 20 years old or something like that? It was older than the 1999 release. So it was a, an older release that kids might not be associated with. And obviously they had the Disney vault with videos and things weren't always available, etc. But I think Disney might have always been afraid. This is very much projection and assumption here, but afraid of two things. Thing number one. Will anybody actually know who these characters are? Are we going to be shooting ourselves in the foot? Thing number two, can we actually sell new toys or people go, I already have that toy kind of thing? You know, <laughs> is it going to be... Li- and that's because that's, let's face it, that's one of Disney's defining driving factors of merchandise is now the, a, a key source to why we it's, do things. It is a strange thing. It's a strange thing thinking about what prompts Disney to eventually do that and why they don't before. I would love to... And listeners, if you know more about this if you're more informed on these matters and on your disney history than we are then please you know send us a message let us know if you are walt disney yes or let us know what you were thinking or eisner or whoever let us know uh let us know what's going on because um you know it's it is it is such a strange thing that when 
and especially once we hit the 80s and 90s when franchises really are all the rage because i can understand it in the 70s when sequels were pretty much always a law of diminishing returns but by the time that you hit the 1980s and sequels are path of the course it takes disney a really long time to get onto that sequel train it's you know a good 20 years after that becomes a standard that disney start doing it and, and they do a shit job of it and they go but they go into this straight to video route first i can the thing is we can understand why they did it because the money makes sense because it's like we're not going to put all this money into marketing for cinematic release and all this stuff for distribution and then getting it translated just like put it out as a nice simple earner get it out there as fast as possible. We can do all these properties we have now. We can just now start, rin- which is what they did. They started rinsing through everything. Things you may know, things you may not know. Things like Fox and the Hound 2, for God's sake. So it's only begin- didn't matter if the original was a success or even known or not. It's like, we'll punch it out because we can double them up together. Well, in part, I mean, there's some demographic stuff going on here as well, which is that you have the echo boom, so the post-baby boom in the 1980s, which means that there are just more kids. And I'm sort of cribbing this from some... My partner does research on this, so I'm sort of cribbing this from some of her work here. But essentially, there is a... um, There are just more kids in the 80s than there were at any point, which means that as a result in the 80s and 90s, you get a massive influx of of children's-only media because there's a massive market to sell to, which is why you end up with your Fox Kids and your Disney channels explode at this time, and also why straight-to-video explodes because there is enough of a market to sustain just content for kids and to have content for children that will only be watched by children and doesn't need any crossover appeal at all which i think is why they go down the straight to video route i think that's part of it anyway but yeah and you've got vhs happening and then shortly after this dvds come along you know we're talking late 90s here so this is real the kind of peak of the like you said the home video kind of era there alec and then this kind of thing is perfect for kids i'm sure as a dad you know alec you end up watching the same thing a million times in a row and with a video you just rewind it start again dvd press play again like it's perfect content for kids and it totally makes sense rather than having to go to the cinema every single time and blah 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 totally makes sense to have it in that much more easily consumable format also less discerning for adults who might be a bit critical of I've just spent all this money on X amount of tickets for kids where it's like I bought one video and this is good enough. Although I think that the difference there is that circa the mid 90s it would have been cheaper to buy four cinema tickets than a video. <laughs> I think oh, that yeah, that's, that's the, point. because videotapes cinema tickets uh, so fun fact for anybody under the age of like 20 um home media used to be really expensive so videos used to cost loads of money and cinema tickets used to be really cheap so you used to go to the cinema more than you would get a video yeah video was like 20 quid and a cinema ticket was a fiver yeah if that's how it is now yeah that's now background to what it is dvds and blu-rays are like 15.99 and cinema tickets are now a fiver uh, but dvds get a lot cheaper and that's oh yeah, only, yeah yeah that's only yeah. at view cinema as well uh, and odeon now as well oh really yep odeon's with the same uh odeon with a view in the same city interesting yep. yep so the original lion king as we discussed an absolute classic 93 percent on rotten tomatoes roaring success who gave it a bad review I'm interested right? to know where that seven percent Some heartless monster. Yeah. I think someone who just loves Hamlet and says, this is shit, this is Hamlet, done wrong. It's Yeah, it's an interesting one. <laughs> I'm always surprised when you see a score like that for an undisputed classic film. because, And I'm assuming that that's a contemporary review rather than a retrospective review. Very likely, review. very likely. Because, um, yeah, just... Incorrect. 
I have found a 2013 review from The New Yorker written by Terence Rafferty. Okay. Which is a a, a green splat tomato. Interesting. What's his tiny little statement? Yeah, give us the little statement. Between traumas, the movie sums up soothingly banal musical numbers composed by Elton John and Tim Rice and silly rambunctious comedy. What the fuck? Sounds great. Uh, First of all, I I say if you think of like some of the more... Okay, that's a guy who doesn't like Elton John. Well, yeah, let's throw, let's throw our opinions here. Uh, in my opinion, the best Disney music is in Aladdin because the swing has nothing to do with anything on the Arabian Peninsula, but it works surprisingly well for the whole thing. It works for the energy, the pace, and thing. This one is quite nice because it does feel quite very, for lack of a better word, cinematic. Hans Zimmer doing the score as well. So uh, I think you're wrong, sir. Yeah, I really, I really like Elton John's music in this. I really like Elton John, but I, I, I like his music in this film. It's fitting. Yeah, works. So what's the score for number two? Yes, please do. Have a guess. I'll give you a clue. It's not 0%. No, I think, it, <laughs> like I think Mulan it's, it's going to be, uh, let's say 18. 18% from Matthew Stogden. Alec Perlman, counteract. I'm going to higher. I'm going to go for a, like a round, like I'm going to go about 48. Mm, I don't fair. think it's terrible. No, I think I think people would have gone out of the Lion King and enjoyed it so much and gone, this is not the same thing. Pew, pummish. But I it. wonder if by 1998, people have enough of an expectation of what Disney straight to video is that they've adjusted accordingly. And because it is a much better film than Return of Jafar, I wonder if that also worked in his favour. Alec, you're far closer. Okay. It's 43. Oh, uh, wow. I was, I was not far off yeah, at all. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well done, sir. Well done. Which, to be fair, 43 sounds right for this film. Yeah. I'm honest. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's about... Yeah. There are a few people that think it's better than the first. And I'm Fucking like, mm. hell. That's... Um, wow. Yeah. I, that strikes me as you watched that at a moment in your life where you were of an age where that yes, seemed. Yes. You see, for me, even, and I can remember watching this when it first came out on video, objectively, I, I was at an age where I was old enough to remember the first one and right on the cusp of being able to go, okay, I can see this is not as good. I still liked it, but it was like, I can see this is, this it does not hold up in the, in the same way. And weirdly enough, all the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes for the second one are... Modern. None of them are contemporary. Okay. All of them from from the last like ten years or so, apart from one. I think a lot of them wouldn't have been reviewed at time for like a, a video release. It would have got maybe some stuff, but nothing in it. Like a a lot of publications would have taken on. Hey, do you know what the latest video release is? We, we don't really, really care. Yeah, exactly. My favorite one is this is basically a retread of the Fox and the Hound. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure. Bit, you know, I guess yeah, the Fox and the Hound didn't fuck, but sure. <laughs> or did they? <laughs> Or Romeo. I mean, we all thought they were. You know, or Romeo and Juliet, but whichever cultural reference point you want to go for is... Um... It's like that film with Leonardo DiCaprio. It's interesting. We should uh, mention that it's interesting that they do the Shakespeare thing again. Yes. the Lion King has a shades of Hamlet. Obviously it's Hamlet, it. yeah. Yep. This one has a plot that picks Very up Romeo on and Juliet, yeah. Romeo and Juliet. And which... that wasn't the original plan from what I'd read. Um, they'd started off with a few different ideas, a few different kind of ways to do this. And I think there was one that was continuing... Simba's journey as kind of the main character and they're like, oh no, let, let's move on to kids 
an event i think the directors and, and writers described it as eventually the project just became romeo and juliet uh, over the months of rewrites and retreads and executive decisions i'm sure fuck it it's just romeo and juliet one of it? those rewrites was that this uh was that cova was going to be scar's kid correct and yes. then they said hang on no wait that means that that's incest, hook up, that's incest. <laughs> oh no <laughs> they would be they would be they would be cousins and it would be weird wow which is bullshit because cousins is allowed nala uh, no kid. no uh, it is legally Kids at home <laughs> listening. What? Fuck your cousins. Are you, it's are fine. You, are you trying to justify some kind of secret relationship with a cousin here? Bloody Norfolk, the Because that no, it is sounding incredibly desperate. <laughs> yeah. No, I promise, really. Honestly, it's real. No, it's no, fine. no. I'll tell them, Charlene. It's a wide enough, tell them. It's a wide enough genetic pool. It's fine. So I was going to say that Nala and Simba, I'm pretty sure... Are probably brother and sister, or at least cousins, or something like that. They're cousins, I was going to say. Because Mufasa's the only. He's the male of the pride. Yeah. yeah. I'd yeah. like to point out that these are not lion lions and anthropomorphized lions well, in the context true, of Disney. True, but I, mean, I meant simply the fact that they addressed it in their rewrites, and I thought, oh, that somebody's somebody stepped in the office, office and said, no. Like these lions seem to have some kind of basic political system and like <laughs> governance and stuff. It's Game so of Thrones, but lions. On the basis of that, politics, I think... incest. Mm. I was find it strange. Typical Disney mindset was like, let's just simplify it and say they're the king of the jungle, but not actually a jungle. You're like, okay, fair enough. And they like, and king all... of the jungle is not in a jungle. Yeah, and all the antelopes come out and say, this is the new king. He will eat us one day. It's like this sounds incredibly <laughs> ridiculous. Eat us, <laughs> yeah, I always wonder that why they all come out and are just like, yeah. This is great. There's a new guy who will eat us in a few years. Yeah. And just like, eh, it's better than communism. Yeah, a bit Stalinist. <laughs> <laughs> the Stalinist king. <laughs> so before we get into fixing the Lion King 2 Simba's pride, please allow me, dear listeners, to serenade you with a brief synopsis of this delightful, delightful film. Can you tell I quite like it? Because I do. Simba and Nala have a daughter named Kiara. Timon and Pumbaa are assigned to be her babysitters, but she easily escapes their care and ventures into the Forbidden Lands. Ooh, sounds familiar. There she meets a lion cub named Kovu and they become friends. What she and her parents do not know is that Kovu is the son of Zira, a banished follower of the now dead Scar. She plans to raise Kovu to overthrow Simba and become the king of the Pride Lands. This tests not only Kiara and Kovu's relationship as they mature, but Simba's relationship with his daughter as well. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun, dun. So we've touched upon the fact that it was a straight-to-DVD, straight-to-VHS, I guess, at the time. Sequel, that's a problem. The fact that we're just retreading another kind of Shakespearean tale, maybe that might be a problem we need to fix as well. But it's down to you two gentlemen to actually fix the problem. So, Alec, Matthew, what's the plan? Well, I will jump in with a, a couple of things that I think... Uh, I think that the big thing, thing number one, is that we need to make this a cinematic release. Mm -hmm. Correct. Yep. Agreed. I think that there's no getting around that the limitations of home video are one of the major, uh, perhaps the major factor in this movie being hamstrung. So I think that we would want for this to be the first Disney theatrical sequel that's not Rescuers Down Under. Mm. Was that theatrical? Yeah, it was. Jesus. Yeah. Um, and then we've got a question of who, that means who do we have helming it? Because obviously we've got a straight-to-video team 
at the moment. Who are going to get fired. Yeah, sorry. sorry, guys. You did fine, but... Um, With what they were given, yeah. they did, actually, to be fair, very, very well. Yeah, but, but I think, given that we are upping the ante here, I think... I think we would want to just bring back the original crew. There's no reason not to have Roger Allers and Rob Minkoff helming this. They did a great job with the first film. And I think that we can, you know, we can go with them. I think the other issue with The Lion King 2 is, and again, this is a straight-to-video thing, the songs are kind of forgettable. I mean, they're fine. They're not terrible. They're not like some of the awful songs that you got in Mulan 2 or whatever. (laughs) But, um, you know, they are, you know, not not the strongest so I think having a composer team that can give us a better soundtrack is essential. And again, I can see no reason why bringing back Tim Rice and Elton John wouldn't work. That It's an iconic soundtrack. And I think that if you want some continuity there, having them doing the music for it is no bad thing. So there's that. Now, one thing that I do think is interesting is that, of course, this has some broader implications for Disney as a whole, releasing this theatrically at this point, and kind of comes back to our previous episodes on Return of Jafar and Mulan 2, where we have talked about these straight-to-video sequels, because these straight-to-video sequels for Disney are a problem full stop. This actually happens to be one of the better examples, but I couldn't really signpost a good straight-to-video sequel. And as I've said, economically, these things made sense for Disney at the time. You can understand, given where the market was, why they did it, and why they were so initially successful. But the thing with straight-to-video sequels is that they, in the long run, contributed to Disney's brand decline by the early 2000s. I think because they did so much damage to Disney's reputation, especially once their cinematic output starts to become shoddy in the early 2000s. I think we start to get this idea that there is a there is a problem with what Disney is doing at this point. Which would be fine on its own, and you'd limp on if it wasn't for Pixar doing such a fucking amazing well, job. That's just it, and not just Pixar, but DreamWorks oh, as yes, well. True, true. I think you have other animation studios that then start to eclipse Disney by honing in on things that it feels like Disney are neglecting. I think that this would have interesting implications for Disney circa 1998. When you put the idea of a theatrical Lion King sequel release right after The Hunchback of Notre Dame, I think that's chronologically where we are. What does that mean for the studio at this point? And I think it would be interesting to speculate on that. So, Mr. Stockton, I throw over to you. Well, yeah, because, I mean, the, the, in uh, the late 90s... Di- okay, so Disney hit a huge resurgence with Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast. Uh, not in that order, obviously. Oh, Little Mermaid is the Little film Mermaid. that yes, kickstarts exactly. that. Yeah. Agreed entirely. So, would you get something like... Say, for example, we were to release a Lion King 2 in 1998, and it was a huge success. Rather than doing something like Fantasia 2000 as a sort of retrospect... Would they go back and say, actually, we're now going to not do this straight-to-video stuff. We're now going to go back to the cinema. It's time for the things we wanted to do and maybe rushed possibly on on straight-to-video and put that through. But then also on top of that, it, it opens the question of what how they treat Pixar. It's such a strange thing to say. It's almost like one of those what-ifs, and it sounds like I'm throwing out hyperbole here, but it's one of those what-ifs of like, what happens if, say, like, for example, Hitler died in World War One, And you're like, what? And it's like, well, what if there's no Hitler? Would Germany suppose it's like, well, no, because Stalin's still a thing. So Russia rises up and becomes, and it comes like command and conquer territory. 
and that's kind of the point. There will always be that, that vacuum to fill. So if Disney suddenly become this powerhouse, do we get things like DreamWorks filling in on the gaps and things like that? Do we get half of the studios like Fox and Sony Animation and everyone else trying to put this thing? It literally is such a huge question mark that it could change the, the, the course of cinematic history. Well, the other question, of course, then, is how much leverage Pixar get. Because to come back to the straight-to-video thing, the thing that changes this practice is Toy Story 2. Because Disney originally planned to create, I believe, in-house at Disney, a Toy Story 2 that was a straight-to-video sequel. And this was a huge sticking point for Lasseter. And for Lasseter, to the point that they essentially turned around and said, you know what, we'll do it ourselves. And this is where the Toy Story 2 sequel came from, was that if Pixar didn't run with it, then Disney was going to do it. And they didn't want Disney re releasing an inferior product. Entirely. And also it meant that that's where the fracturing... If you if you look at the history between Pixar and Disney, um, Pixar and Disney are in, almost interchangeable in the, in the 90s. So they were obviously the, the same sort of parent company. And then after the fracturing of Toy Story 2 and the success of Toy Story 2, Pixar goes off on its own and people forget that Pixar is not Disney. It's its own company. It buys itself out. And then, uh, I want to say maybe 2006 or seven or something like that, uh, Disney reacquires it. And suddenly we start seeing planes and planes two and, show and that cars and cars, cars one two, three, and cars and two cars three monsters university and and basically a dip in quality of pixar and suddenly tangled and frozen and other really really good stuff. moana things disney is now again getting the better writers better stories better things going on and then only finally we got to a point now where we got coco and incredibles 2 as well as things from disney that are actually really on point so you're ah these two studios are working perfectly in harmony and again working working with each other as it were again i think it's it's a typical uh to take music for an example um it's like a a really solid band uh and one of the uh singers splinters off creates their own group which again is then competing with the band and then you have them reform with everyone together and it's like oh actually we can all make a huge success out of this under the both names of both bands and still thing it's it's a very strange situation to be in but as i say if we take out one tiny thing here if we have it's just a harmony between disney and pixar you pull that thread it unravels the whole it thing. is yeah. and it becomes such a strange way more so than things like oh what happens if the matrix sequels were good what happens if we because we haven't addressed things like and this is something obviously we kind of addressed in our cinematic universe episode we have never addressed the mcu because eventually or, or even like james bond or something because eventually it just sort of peters out or you, it fixes itself i mean endgame goes back to one of the the least favorite MCU films and says actually we'll make it more relevant now and, and you're like oh fair play you could have ignored that entirely but you decided to drill down into it to make it more relevant and Thor Ragnarok you, you, you hinted at Dark World there is the sequelizer version of <laughs> Thor entirely. film like, like I know what we can do let's just do Planet Hulk and just go crazy and make it a crazy 80s yeah. sci-fi epic like that's the kind of thing we do and it ends up being that that's the kind of thing Marvel tends to do. Because they had the time to course correct. Exactly, so, yeah. Yeah, if, if they had foreseen what was going to happen and course corrected with the Disney sequels, um, it, it's not unreasonable to say it could be a completely different landscape, not only for big budget films and stuff, but also really for the entire Disney studio, who, again, because of the nature of them floundering with not uh, with a, with a you know a, a, a fluctuation in quality having to reassess what they are and what's important to them and reacquiring certain things and having to actually think about stuff because to be fair and i know this is maybe it's a bit too critical but they get fucking lazy in it <laughs> we're disney we don't need to try and it's like you should because 
there are hungry people out there who want but to get I a job. Think, but I think that this is the other thing, is that by this point, Disney have their, have their hands in so many pies. True. That's the truth, is that, okay, so the theatrical division isn't doing very well, but then Disney has Touchstone, and Disney has the, the television channels, and Disney has... Is Buena Vista other, still going at that point? Yeah, yeah. And Disney has other media, Disney has... They have theme parks, they have... You know, Dis- Disney, toys, by yeah, that yeah. point, is... And they still technically have Pixar, so... But it is interesting to think how this decision, the ripple effect that this would have in our fictional alternate cinematic yeah. history. Or it gets released, does really well, and they never do it again. Everything carries on just as it is. Like, oh, okay. That worked. Next. <laughs> I want to live in a world where all of these sequelizable things happened and it's just some weird... See what kind of cultural differences there would be and how pop culture would shift if your guys' Jaws 2s were made and then that was the sequel to the other one and... Because we had even had interlinking ones from previous seasons and stuff like that, almost doing a sequel to each other's films and shit like that. I want to live in that world. With the more progressive Mulan too. Yes. It makes you wonder if we should at some point sequelize our, our own sequels, doesn't it? Create oh, the so sequelizer's fictional universe. If people want that, let us know in the comments. Uh, <laughs> they will. Yeah. We do. Share, do. Your, share your stories, friends. So speaking of stories, I believe Matthew might have some suggestions about what to fix for... The Lion King 2 story as well. You are correct, I do. Uh, but before we go there, because obviously we're doing the new format, less of a rivalry, more of a, a camaraderie, working together. But there's always going to be a moment where there's going to be a difference of opinions and we want to, you know, voice all of them to make sure you can all, as a listener, sort of... Behind-the-scenes punch-ups and stuff. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. Some fisting, if you will. Oh. Choice of words, Matt. Sorry. That's, that's Sorry. what I mean. Some, some feisty fisting, if yeah, you will. That's yeah, better. Yeah. Carry on. Yeah, some violently feisty Karen. Good save, mate. Good save. (laughs) You're welcome. So yeah, ultimately we we sort of backed and forth on this, and we've ultimately decided we're going to run with with Matt's uh, story idea. But initially, the discussion was whether what was in the first film, uh, what was sorry. Initially, the discussion is whether what was in the Lion King two as it exists is salvageable because that one way of looking at it the storyline that we have in the straight to video version is perfectly adequate so we started off thinking about essentially tweaking what was already there the problem with that story is that it is just a bit thin on the ground and as we hinted at with annoying brothers and sisters too many undeveloped characters it does andy dick's character in that film there are some weaker moments there so one thing that I proposed was essentially taking the story as it exists and just upgrading it. And the ways I would upgrade it are this. Point number one, I would give Simba a more compelling reason to exile the Outsiders, which is the lions that live outside of the Pride in the film. The current justification that they were loyal to Scar is a bit boring. And again, it's thin enough that you can get away with it in a straight-to-video thing, but I think that for a cinematic release, you'd want to develop that. So I would have a prologue where we establish some kind of attempted insurrection, possibly with some collateral damage, you know, maybe the death of Nala, something that's going to have an impact, you know, that something that ups the stakes, essentially. Simba then could be scarred both literally and metaphorically from the incident. He's harsher, more cynical at the beginning of this movie. The scar creates obvious parallels with his uncle, and his arc would involve putting his traumas behind him to avoid being consumed by the darkness, with the optimism of Kiara, his daughter, ultimately showing him the way. I also, one thing that I really didn't like about Lion King 2 is the idea of Zira being the villain, because I think she's a bit one-note. You just, you've just done Star Wars. <laughs> 
<laughs> the good guy becomes the bad guy and the, the uh, offspring, yeah, offspring of the bad yeah. guy is the good guy that tries to redeem him. You've done Star Wars. Shakespeare oh. Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, maybe. It's a new hope turning into... Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, I guess kind of. I think it's a bit less intense. I'm, be- I'm being facetious he... because I know you love Star yeah. Wars. <laughs> but he do- I mean, he doesn't go out and out bad. There's obvious parallels there in that flipping Darth Vader is his dad. So to to be got... fair, I'm sure hopefully someone in the writing room during the original Lion King went, hang on, hang on, wait, wait, his uncle, because yeah, yeah, you fucking written Hamlet, mate. I mean, <laughs> did, I know Shakespeare's did, dead, but someone's going to find you. Did they do that on purpose or do you think that happened where some guy know. just walked in and was like, Hey guys, you know this is Hamlet, right? Didn't like, they steal like, it from like Kimber the what? White Lion or something like that? Oh god, yeah, they did, of course. So, yeah. that's, so that's I mean. Hamlet. Yeah. Everything's Hamlet. Everything's Hamlet. Everything's Shakespeare. Everything's Hamlet. In a way, everything is Star Wars. So anyway, my next problem with Lion King Two is I don't like Zira being the villain because I think she's a bit one note, and I don't like the whole using my son as a pawn to get to Simba thing. That's a bit. Mm, I'm not sure how I feel about that. So I'd introduce a new arch villain who I'd position almost as a a cult leader figure who is manipulating the other outsiders in a play for power. That way we get to explore some interesting dynamics, especially between Kovu and Zira, because if Kovu realises that Zira is being manipulated, his quest to turn her to the light, we're back to Star Wars again. (laughs) Um, So you're keeping Zira... But making it making a, a, her developing her character. You're adding yeah. an emperor figure. Yes, in there, essentially. Thinking. Yes. <laughs> okay, I can see. I see it now. Yeah. Okay. Um, Some kind of I don't know, like em, em, almost yeah, like emperor-y yeah. kind of figure, okay. or uh... I can't believe I didn't see that. But <laughs> <laughs> for the record, listeners, I don't read these guys' pitches and ideas ahead of time. I'm just like, hold on a minute. <laughs> It's nice to have a fresh eye as we're reading out going, oh yeah. Everything the force touches is <laughs> kingdom. It's around um, the spines. Yeah. God, yes. The light is the midichlorians. Oh, oh. Don't say that word. Anyway, so if Kovu realises that Zira is being manipulated, his quest to turn her to the light or save her becomes a compelling dramatic element. And also his conflict about whether to hide her actions from Simba and Kiara and the implications it might have for her if she was found out, I think, is interesting. And then the other thing I'd want to do, as I've already hinted at, is to ditch and move to the background Kovu's various siblings. It's too many characters, not enough character development, and I find them quite annoying. So that that was what I ended up with, and we thought, well, that, that was fine. But then Mr. Stockton came in with something a bit more radical, and I think ultimately this is what we're going to go with. So make of it what you will, listener folks, but this is, this is Stog's take on LK2 SP. I'm keeping the title, yeah. I think it works still. LK2SP. Yeah, that's all it is. Standard play. <laughs> um, so the film would open with the Rafiki's funeral and the search for a new shamanistic sort of leader because it's never really established what his job is, just sort of like, you know, village elder, as it were. Obi-Wan Kenobi. If you will. So then Timon and Pumbaa would be petitioning to be in charge of these matters, but Simba would, you know, say they're too irresponsible and they take offence to that. And again, it keeps the sort of light Timon and Pumbaa element in the film, but they're trying to take a more serious adult side and it's dismissed immediately. At this point, a lone male lion would appear at Pride Rock, uh, introducing himself as Sefu. Uh, Simba and Sefu got on immediately with no male lions in the Pride, but Nala doesn't trust this new arrival. So, you know, we've established the fact that he's the only dude for some reason, which again is how lions work. So while Simba is out training his daughter Kiara to hunt, Zazu uh, would confront Sefu referencing Mufasa's past, but then Sefu kills him. Big point there. Because that was 
Alex's first point was like, no, you can't do that. Yeah, this is a point of contention for me. I feel I feel a bit bad about killing the Boyd. I don't but, give a uh, shit about killing the bear. Simba, Nala, and Kiara return to accusations of Sefu being responsible for Zazu's death, but having been forced to accused of murder himself, Simba defends Sefu, feeling a sort of kinship with the lion. He says, no, 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 I- I'm sorry. Everybody cast me out because I thought killed someone wasn't the case. Anyway, Sefu then uses this opportunity to reveal that his lineage is in fact closer to Simba than the thinks, and he is in fact Simba's cousin who's coming looking for his long-lost uncle Mufasa. And this revelation brings the two male lines even closer together. So and they have, though. I don't know if they have sex yet, mm. but we'll have to wait and see. Tune in oh, no, wait, no, I didn't in. write that in. That's, oh, that's not in there. Controversial. Sorry, yeah. So at this point, Timon and Pumbaa advise Simba against strengthening ties with Sefu because he's just come out of nowhere. And it's like, okay, you, he looks like you. All lions look alike to us, but at the same time... <laughs> Whoa. What? Whoa. They look, literally, you should, guys all look alike to I us. should point out, this is actually relevant to the thing like that. I should point out that, that he does look a lot like Mufasa, this character. So it okay. looks like he looks a lot like how Simba grew up to be as well. They, they do look like they're very much closely related. But it's like, yeah, okay, I get it, but you shouldn't take this outsider and just elevate him into this new position. Then... Simba explains that this guy is family and he intends to make Sefu the new shaman and advisor, which, you know, creates more of a rift between Timon and Pumba and Simba. So the, one of the original, you know, he, he goes off to the wilderness, finds these guys and they're very much his his moral counsel, as it were. And yet he's pushing them further and further away for this new arrival. So Simba then takes Sefu out on a hunt with the intention to announce his new position. But they're sidetracked when Sefu starts highlighting strange differences between only little differences. You, you but- could say Timon and Pumba are the Han and Chewy. The story. No, it's literally Star Wars. They're not. No, they're not. How? How are they Han and Chewie? Because they help guide Luke and go to the thing. He and doesn't help guide Luke. Awesome. Han doesn't give a shit about anybody. Yeah, until he realizes he's made space friends, and then he comes back. Yeah, Timon Pumbaa always came back from there. Yeah, there. And then Timon has sex with Simba's sister. <laughs> I'll wow. stop with the Star Wars stuff yeah. now. Nice. So they go out and they discuss just little minor differences between them. Specifically, the Sefu has a slightly darker mane. And this states the whole, like, you know, in a, in a pride of lines, in the actual, you know, biology in real life, a darker mane means a more dominant and healthy male. And Simba says, well, no, that's not right, because my dad had, a like, a brown mane and my uncle Scar had a black mane, and that's clearly not the case, so you're wrong. And Sefu says, who the hell's Scar? He has no idea who he's talking about. Nala then seeks, separately, seeks advice from her mother, uh, Serafina, saying... She can't get through to Simba, and she asks how Serafina dealt with her mate, and then Nala's mother then carefully reveals that Scar is in fact Nala's father, and that he was also the leader of the Pride before a young male showed up. <coughs> Star Wars. This is Star Wars. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. A few days later, though, Nala tries to get through to Simba, but he's you know confused and conflicted and all those things, and his predicament states that his father once told him that you know he only take his place as king, never how difficult the daily life of ruling would actually be. Sefu takes Kiara to a watering hole, but, you know, because he's an alpha male on his own, he's, he's quite reckless and endangers a life, which uh, Timon and Pumbaa end up saving Kiara from a crocodile, which is in uh, The Lion King 2. In the original one, yeah, yep. In, in a manner of speaking. Uh, Sefu then tries to drive more of a wedge between Timon and Pumbaa, Nala, and Simba, but he's, again, Simba's really torn at this point, just literally, as Simba would do, buggers off, because whenever it gets bad for Simba, he seems to just run away. And the going gets tough, the, the king gets going. Yeah, he just yeah. hoofs it to where the light isn't. So in the middle of this rainstorm, uh, Simba consults a vision of his father again. That is fairly Star Wars, to be fair. And Mufasa basically confesses the truth of his past. Mufasa explains that he and Scar are not brothers. Oh, twist. Um, and that Scar was originally called Kyongozi uh, before Mufasa arrived at Pride Rock, fought this guy for the throne, and gave him his namesake Scar, and then stripped him of his title, and basically his name. At this point, Simba's like horrified. And... What's more, Simba is the only cub born to Mufasa, the rest of Scars, because that's how, you know, the pride would work. 
So Simba's like freaked out and very uncomfortable, and he demands the thing. But Mufasa explains, Scar's not a hero. This isn't like him coming up and thinking, it's just he wasn't fit to lead. As we have seen in the previous film, he would have, you know, done awful things that wouldn't have worked out. Although, I'm going to get back to that later because I don't actually think Scar did anything wrong. He was trying to bring people together, but we'll get, that's it's fine. <laughs> anyway, so Mufasa's the good guy all along. Kind of, but it just happened to be in a really bad time with a drought. Like Darth Vader. I mean, you could say that. So uh, Mufasa then understood the bitterness of being usurped, but that's all just, you know, in a lion's nature. And Simba rejects this and said it shouldn't be, and as king, he has the power to change these things. So Mufasa's final words before disappearing in clouds in his helpful way says that certain things are beyond even a king. So when Simba comes back, and now that's just, you know, she sort of bucks up the courage to try and say, actually, I'm, I'm Scar's daughter. But he says, don't worry, I already know. I know everything now. We're good. I had to talk with my space dad in the sky and then he confronts Sefu and the two of them fight and Sefu reiterates that you know it's an alliance nature and a male will always try and take the pride from him and then looking at his wife and daughter or I should say wife his mate and daughter um, Simba says that there will always be someone here to stop him and with that Sefu is banished from the plains and he apologizes to her friends and Simba then makes Timon the new advisor and Pumba becomes the shame and because it points out that these two all along were the, the best replacements they are a good point and they are close to him and therefore they are good counsel and then the film would end with a celebratory procession for the various everybody getting medals apart from Pumba yeah I know yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah basically because initially I was going to go with the, down the Shakespeare road and I thought it's odd enough with the, with the Tempest I thought oh we could do something quite interesting here and then I thought no because if I actually want to stick even closely to the idea of the Tempest it would become Simba sort of manipulating the situation for other competing male lions to try and just buff his daughter yeah it's a bit yeah mm, all yeah. of which is but and to be fair the tempest is a revenge story and it's like well simba's not really gonna re- revenge anyway so it, it didn't work as well as i wanted to without just being in name only so yeah so i ended up going with some random bits the key thing being the fact that scar and mufasa are not related that's actually from an interview with the directors who said yeah they're not related because they look completely different and how way that 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 prides work and all that sort of stuff they would have not been together i thought oh and I sort of pulled on that thread and thought, well, hang on. And then from the biology, the idea of the darker main meaning something entirely different. And obviously from a visual aspect, from the how we present cartoons and, and animated films, dark means evil. It's like, no, not really. And it also becomes then interesting if you push from most of the story, the idea that Mufasa might have been, in fact, the villain. And just because he's your dad doesn't mean he's a good guy. And then it says, actually, no, I did what lion, all lions do. And also, he was still a shit guy. He still killed me. He still tried to kill you and everything else. He's still an awful person. But I was better placed to rule. And this will always happen. He said, no, no, no. It won't always happen because my daughter will take over. There'll be someone. It won't just need to be the the same endless cycle repeating kind of thing. So for me, I think there's there's the seed of the good story in there. There are some things that I would want to change, I think, to soften it. Because I think that at the moment, it takes it a bit too far away from being a kid. I would re- I would respond to that solely with, I would agree if it was going to video, but it's cinema. And because The Lion King is dark, and because Pocahontas is pretty dark, and because Hunchback of Notre Dame is pretty dark, I would keep it the way it would have been in the cinema. I don't think it's a problem with quote-unquote darkness, although I don't think The Lion King is especially dark. It has apart a, from that bit. Apart from that bit. Yeah. I think, and even that isn't so much dark as something that plays on a fear that you have when you're eight. I think that from a morality perspective i think you would need to soften some of these things because i think that it gets a bit too murky in terms of its morality for children to be able to engage with it that's my thought so my thought is that you could take the seed of that you could soften the elements of the story 
I think that having I I personally would like to make your your new lion a Sefu. Is that what you've called mm-hmm. him? I would like to make him I'd like to put a redemption arc in there, to be honest. That that which I know changes things up a bit and not have him kill the bird. Because I think that when you kill the bird, you There's straight no away signify that. that he is he is a straight up bad guy. Which again I'm mirroring with with just the scarf. But I think that arc. if you I think that taking the basis of that you could do something really interesting. It's just a question of how you tweak it yeah. to make it a Disney film, I guess. That's what you're saying. I mean, you're talking about links to Star Wars and folk. Strange enough, as I was writing down, I thought, oh, fuck, this is Black Panther. <laughs> yes, it is. And I was yeah. like, oh. And then and it was only after I'd already written the thing and I was like, uh, I just, uh, you know, I was reading the, oh, yeah. No. It's not obviously exactly Black Panther, but it's the idea of you think something about the thing that's already in place and, you know, you have an idea. The only difference being that, yeah, no, I think I think it's the, the lack of redemption. Arc. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I think you just have to tweak a couple of bits, and then you've got a really a solid and quite unique feeling Disney film there. But it's just about making sure. What do you think, Jack? Yeah, I kind of agree with you, actually, Alec. I think and there's there's elements there that I don't know if it goes too, like you said, not necessarily too dark. Yeah, but too adult in certain ways, and I don't know if it would be. I think it would work well for the thing you touched upon earlier, Alec, where you have to not only keep the kids entertained, but the adults have got to sit through it too. And I think it would work on those different levels, which has been the key to success for... We talked about Pixar so much earlier in the episode. So many Pixar films are multi-layered and enjoyable, have jokes that make no sense to like six-year-olds, but if you're 26 or 36 or whatever, it totally makes sense. I like the idea of having, like you said, the more kind of focused, like lion politics, if anything, rather than having... The weird kind of exiled thing. Your yours is almost more based on realistic lion politics. That's a realistic lion politics is a weird sentence <laughs> to say, but pride dynamics. How about that? Like yeah, animal habitual nature. That's better than realistic pride <laughs> and realistic <laughs> lion politics. Because you know pride pride dynamics just sounds like we're uh, you know talking about the interactions at an lgbt event or whatever, it does <laughs> yes yeah. does this count as our pride month episode <laughs> <laughs> we fundamentally misunderstood the concept of pride month the thing is that i really like the idea of it as a film for grown-ups but i think that that's the problem See, i'll acknowledge i'll acknowledge that. Yeah, that, that i think part of the fact that it, let's okay let's use an example uh, let's play devil's advocate for a second so if we talk about like, oh, it's too dark or it's too too adult, for example, and then in the 90s, you can always say, well, I mean, you've got Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, quite n- not naive, but very, very simplistic, as it were. Then you've got things like in the mid to late 90s, you've got Mulan, Pocahontas and Hunchback of Notre Dame, all of which have a adult centric character, sometimes with limited success. But the key point there is that they're not. The I mean, Mulan, Mulan's a great film, in my opinion. Pocahontas, I really personally enjoy. Hunchback of Notre Dame is too long. There's too many goddamn songs. And it's too fucking dark. The bad guy is basically a priest who burns people. And his song is about sending people to hell. It's like, it's maybe a little too adult. So I can understand why that would be possibly a, a route they might go down and possibly a route they shouldn't go down. So I, I do get that. I think, uh, but again, I think that the question of darkness, quote unquote, and I think you've got to be very careful when using that term because I think that actually in terms of the things you're talking about, these are things that Disney films have always done and that you look back in the 30s and 40s or whatever. Yeah. And I think they're things that children's media has always done. There's always a certain level of that that I think we have to be careful about overreacting to. But I think it is a question actually of the 
the thing that you lose kids on is politics. And I think that this felt like it had quite well, a lot no, of politics. Well, no, the, the reason the politics... Yeah, I mean, and that's how... It lost in literally just the, the simplicity of the synopsis. But I think it's more the idea that the simplicity of, of, of the emotion for the, for the audience is, oh, look, this guy has a new cousin slash brother or someone he can connect to and talk to who's very much like him. Oh, hang on a minute. He is not the friendly thing. It's the same thing with the literally Lion King 2 Simpsons Pride that exists where kids don't understand. And I know it sounds like a really insulting thing to say. Kids don't get love stories in the sense of like a couple. Because kids don't have those kind of feelings usually. They have a familial love, that's fine. And they understand what they're told, but they don't feel affection for people in an adult sense of the word. So they project what they are told they need to project. Yes and no, because I think yeah. the kids also see that with their parents and other people's parents. Yeah, that's so what I'm trying to say. So it's not understand. saying that they would relate yeah. to on a common level. And yeah. the same with the politics thing. The politics is simplified. I mean, it's there, but it's very much simplified to the idea of this Lion wanted to be king. And it literally goes back to the whole just can't wait to be king. It's like, it's not what you think it's going to be. In the same way that the first Lion King is like, no, there's adult responsibilities to be taken care of. There's things you need to do. There's a position and a, a responsibility as an adult. That you need. So that's why I think the Lion King is more of a, less of a, a children's film and more of a, I know it's got appeal to children because it's probably like Timon and Pumbaa and all that sort of stuff. But really it's a, you are becoming an adult now. You need to start taking responsibility for yourself. And then it is that sort of, what's the word on for here, uh, coming of age sort of film. And this is like, again, because you could talk about the idea of moving to the next generation for the for the new kids, like Kiara and Kovu in, in, in the actual animated release. But I wanted to, oh, we could stick with Simba's story and really find out what it means to be king, basically. And I know you're saying about the, the politics stuff. And that's an interesting take because we don't really see Mufasa as king. We see a little bit of it at the beginning of the film and then he dies. And then we see Simba become king at the end of the first one. And then the second one just kind of like... Because Mufasa's shit. I'll say it. He's, he, he's like, what's your first lesson, uh, son? Oh, well, we eat the antelope and then we shit him out and then grass grows. And the antelope eat grass. like, yeah. And, <laughs> and then a song happens. And, and there's like some sort of peace. He literally just bullies people in saying like, you should leave these people alone. And then he chases off hyenas for whatever reason. And it's never really established as to why he's a good king other than the story tells us he is because the perspective is this kid. And it's like, your dad is infallible. And so I think it's the idea that just challenging that aspect and then saying, no, no, your dad's an all right guy. Just, you're fine. He's okay. You just need to maybe, yeah, yeah, make better decisions and not be so easily swayed by new good. It's like the saying, like, if you take it to a, a relatable level for a child, it's, there's a new kid in school. He seems really cool. I'll hang out with him. Oh, I shouldn't be doing this. It's bad. It's wrong. I don't know what to do. It's like, you shouldn't go along with this because you stand up to him. And it's that sort of simplicity. Again, I think that so long as you tweak it in the right direction, I think that it is possibly that... that I think the way that I would like to see it is that your other character almost has to come in as that makes this connection with Simba, makes mistakes in doing things because and again perhaps because he is swayed by an outside force and is then ultimately redeemed that that it's all about to hit the fan but then he is able to turn back from whatever yeah because i yeah i think that there's something that doesn't gel with me about introducing a character who's ostensibly sympathetic for the to the audience and then having them in this kind of film and then having them go down such a dark path and end up being the bad and but i think that Ultimately, I think there's the bones there of something that with the right bit of tweaking would be an appropriate Lion King sequel. Yeah. So that is Lion King 2, another straight-to-video Disney sequel, ticked off the list. 
we did discuss like we could do entire fucking seasons on just doing each one of these because there are a lot. I'd go back and listen to the previous episodes. I literally listed, I think it was 22 in seven years or something fucking mental that Disney did. They were just churning them out like three or four a year for far too long. And then I think it burned and died with Brother Bear 2 or something because Brother Bear 1's not good. And then, yeah. I, I, I want to see this alternate universe. What I would say to people as well is let us know what you think are the high and low points of Disney straight-to-video stuff. Tell us if there are any that you think stand up. It's got to be this and Mulan too, right? That's the peak we've in the trough. The, we've got the, ba- the top and the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Return of Jafar, somewhere near the bottom. In the, yeah. yeah, but l- let us know your thoughts. And if there's any more of these that you're particularly burning for us to fix, if there's any particularly offensive ones that you'd like to see us take a look at, then yeah, drop us a message, let us know. Or like me, where you kind of have a weird nostalgia for this film and hadn't watched it in 15 years, and you're like... Oh, yeah, I remember liking this as a kid. <laughs> yeah, what are your memories of this film specifically? Uh, a couple of the songs. Like I said, one of us is, I think, is easily the best song on the soundtrack. And and as soon as that song kicked in, I've had that, like, deception, disgrace, going around in my head. And I'm like, fuck, that's where I know that from. It's from Lion <laughs> King 2. Oh, my God. Oh, there's some random, like, soul song I'd forgotten about. And then the next line is, scar on his face. I'm like, right, obviously it's Lion King. Fucking hell, how did I not put that together? But yeah, I hadn't really... It was one of those weird things where I hadn't made the connections and then suddenly, like, God, I've seen this a million times as a kid. So I remember watching it around my friend's house. Like, everybody sat on a sofa. It was like a birthday party type thing when we were all... Well, I would have been eight at the time. And, like, we would play some shitty PC games and stuff. And one of them was, like, a Lion King 2 trivia DVD thing or might be a Timon and Pumbaa-specific one or something like that. There was a Timon and Pumbaa CD-ROM game. That was was the one. That was the one, yeah. yeah. And then there's obviously Lion King 1.5 and all these, like, in-betweeny bits and the Timon and Pumbaa film and all that kind of stuff and... Yeah, I was just all about it when I was a kid. It's weird. My my parents wouldn't buy me this video because they were so burned by the experience of Return of Jafar. Oh, well, that's understandable. They were like, like, yeah, they were like, nah, nah, it's not happening. So I watched it. In in a way, the Plowmans are the pre-sequelizers. They're the (laughs) proto-sequelizers. They knew all along. So I watched it at the age of 26. Yeah, no, end of of year school video was the first time that I watched it in a class full of kids, yeah. I remember that. Class full of disappointed kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, oh we're watching The Lion King. Yay. Yeah. Wait, what the fuck is this? I remember one time they did that with Star Wars Episode One, and because the film was so long, when we went out for break, they fast-forwarded the pod race. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, the best bit. Yeah, it's was the like, only oh, okay on. bit of that film. It was, yeah. Anyway. But, Miss, how am I going to know what, what's pod racing? <laughs> <laughs> miss, what happened to O.D. Mandrell? <laughs> <laughs> My favourite character is Sabulba. Says no one ever. Anyway, on that note, we fixed Lion King 2. Congratulations, gentlemen. If you'd like to, as Alex said, make some suggestions and uh, suggest some other Disney straight-to-DVD sequels we should cover, if there's particular egregious ones, if you have any other ideas for Lion King 2, if you have a secret weird nostalgia for it, even though it's probably not very good, like I do, you can tweet at us at Sequelizers on Twitter, Sequelizers on Instagram. If you have a slightly longer message, you can also email us, Sequelizers at gmail.com as well. If we want to attack you directly, Matthew, how do they contact you on the interwebs? Yeah, you can come at me. 
I don't give a fuck. Uh, yes, you can come at me at, at Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z, on most of the social media platforms. And by that, I mean two of them. Tumblr and Bebo. That's the ones. Yeah, yeah so um, I am on there. I should also point out, in his absence, Tim is at Trivia underscore Lad. Should you wish to say, Tim, what would you have done? And I think Tim would have gone down a very theatrical route, gone for the more theatre aspect. And he would have also removed all the lions confirmed and mr plowman how can people contact you on the internet yeah i'm alec underscore plowman on twitter my website is www.alecplowman.com and how up to date is that now alec we haven't talked about that in a couple of seasons i'm hoping that by the time uh this episode comes out i will have completely overhauled it to the point where i don't need to update it i feel like you said that three times already. Yeah. yeah i also feel like i've said that many times but we'll see We'll see. Because when we started, it was like, oh, my last review was in 1996. And then the other one was I've just like, covered the death of Bowie. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It was literally, yeah, the, the death of Bowie was the last thing you'd posted. And then it was, I've posted a couple of things. And then, oh, now it's totally up to date. And I, I need to overhaul it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, no, I'm planning to overhaul it at some point. Whether or not it will be by the time this episode comes out remains to be seen. But still, if you, once again, want to know my thoughts on the death of David Bowie, <laughs> alecplanman.com. Ten years' time, I will be saying exactly the same thing, probably. And music stuff as well. MonsterCityBand.com is where me and Mr. Chambers make some sweet metal. So go check that out as well. Despite that noise, he is actually the singer in the band as well. (laughs) Would you believe it? You say despite, you mean specifically because of that noise. Specifically because of that noise. (laughs) He makes some sweet metal. (laughs) Sweet metal. Oh, we're all at it now. I want to join in. What the fuck was that? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Jack, where could they find you on the internet? JLW Chambers, my initials, my surname, Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff, a Rooney. I'm also in a band with Alec, as we mentioned, Monster City. It is metal. Enjoy it, love it, stroke it. And of course, if you wish to, you can support us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash sequelizers. If you wish to throw us some. I believe you can only do it in dollars. It might be pounds. I'm not sure. Rupees. Throw us some rupees or Saudi Arabian gold blocks. I don't know. Phenobian wood dollars. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. Bitcoin. Oh, uh, bitcoins are worth like $11,000 at this point. So I'm fine. With... Please <laughs> submit some bitcoins. That would be great. I'd rather have actual money. Yeah, but seriously, if you could throw some money at us, that all helps with the production of the show and making sure that sequelizers happen. So... Cocaine! Yeah. That's so... it. <laughs> Much appreciated. Thanks for feeding the habit, guys. Keeping it real. <laughs> Keeping the dream alive. Metal. On that note, <laughs> see you in a couple of weeks, folks. Thanks for listening. Rawr. Thought I'd open and close the door.